Today in the Marshall Pro Podcast, we have your Week in Sports Cars listener Q&A show brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA. I am Marshall Pruitt. I cover them sporty cars here, mostly in the United States. On the other end of the line, the beautiful voice you're about to hear, somewhat beautiful face you get to occasionally see broadcasting international sports car events. That is Graham Goodwin of the Daily Sports Car Tribe. How are you, my friend? We're all good here in the UK. Late evening here, uh, just south of London. Great to hear your voice uh, from across the water, MP. And I know what's been a difficult few days um, in the US and, frankly, worldwide. Um, Holding our breath for what back to racing is going to look like after a momentous couple of days for news. By no means all of it good. Some of it good, but by no means all of it good. We're going to get, I noticed some of those storylines as we get stuck into the questions. Uh, but it has seemed, hasn't it, for the last couple of days that the where, where the news feeds have been not ticking away terribly actively. All of a sudden, everybody's decided to get uh, what they've been holding their breath for out there into the wider world immediately. The opportune time for folks to stick their head in the sand and wait for the bad times to go by until we realize that the bad times don't change while we stick our heads in the proverbial sand so yeah and then as if the societal kicks and punches to the groin haven't been enough over the last many weeks if not months if we include the effects of the coronavirus we then learn thursday morning of the biggest most successful most influential manufacturer in the history of sports car racing has decided it needs to call time on its IMSA WeatherTech Championship GT Le Mans factory effort. You as the selecta, the chooser of which of the four categories we start the show with, I have a, a vague idea where you might point us, Graham, but nonetheless, it is your responsibility to tell us where this week's episode of the weekend sports cars will start well as sure as sure as heck is not going to be fun this week is it let's go straight in with imsa and we're going to start with that story about uh, porsche and a number of questions about this one from miggins motorsport from chris alfby uh, from daniel summersgill from dan rice from kevin howard from Mick, rick mccomber uh, from Kevin Pires Frederico, right turn lover uh, pops in with um, a question about Aston Martin GTLM. Rob Ball talking about combining GTLM and uh, GTD. It goes on and it goes on. Damien Peachman. But let's get stuck into this one, MP. First and foremost, quick discussion about why we are where we are with Porsche. Where does that leave the GTLM class? And then the separate thing I know we've talked about before a couple of times. One is, we sort of said it, didn't we? Was it, what, a year ago? Um, where we said that once we knew that Ford were going to come to the end of that uh, that um, planned four-year program, that it would only take one more to be a tipping point, And that pushes us into potential crisis for GTLM. Not that WEC, although Porsche stay there, suffice this, because there's uh, one of their... 
programs is in question. But it then pushes us into that other part of the question, doesn't it, or the debate, which is what about the future for GT3 potentially for a double-class system, a pro-am class and a pro-class? What say you, Marshall Pruitt? we got a lot to unpack here, my friend, and I'm glad you chose IMSA. Glad we're jumping right into the Porsche questions, because while this is emanating from their decision to withdraw from IMSA in North America, this decision will have worldwide impacts on multiple championships. So we're going to get into all that. And so normally you throw all the IMSA questions, since I cover IMSA, at me, but this is an area definitely for the two of us to weigh in on. And we are telling you up front, the vast majority of what you're going to hear in this episode probably going to fall in this range. Mention at the top, last year, 2019, IMSA ran a class, LMP2, with two cars competing full-time. The opposite of optimal. It was the most suboptimal of things visually, but nonetheless, they said they were going to run the class. They had one full-time entry from one team, one from another on the other side of the coast, and they got together and won against one for the majority of the year. Will IMSA shut GT Le Mans down, merge it with GT Daytona, its Pro-Am class, Will it do all kinds of things in reaction to its third full-time manufacturer in the Pro GTLM class announcing it will be leaving, and which then foists the full responsibility onto BMW Team RLL and its two-car entry, and Corvette Racing with its two-car entry as the sole full-timers remaining next year, four cars total, that there's an assumption there, too, which we'll get to some questions about. Will they stay as well? Would say the first thing off the top, Graham, looking at the precedent set last year with LMP2, I would not expect IMSA to make any calls, any decisions on we're going to shut it down, merge full pro with pro-am, do BOP, do something. Not going to happen. Uh, I can't see any way that that would be the decision that they took because very recent history says that's not something they felt compelled to do when it was truly mono <laughs> um, on one against the other. So that's the first thing off the top. The main takeaway, I would say, that this Porsche decision has left with me, I know it's left with you, and I'm sure many others, is this looking at NASCAR and the decisions they have made to go back to racing before any other series, the decisions they made and how they would go back to racing with no fans, limited number of personnel on the ground, this particular PPE uh, standard put in place, just all the things that they did that was received as a massive sigh of relief and thank you from all other major motor racing series because NASCAR was the first to step into the breach and dictate policy, also 
stating through their actions, it's okay to go back to racing, and this is how it should be done. Funnily enough, Graham, IndyCar, which goes back to racing tomorrow night, we're recording this on a Friday afternoon, and Formula One will be coming, and other series will be coming back. They're all looking to NASCAR as the policy setter, the first one to say we're going back, so none of them had to bear the weight or criticism. And admittedly, they're all working from NASCAR's model with very minor changes here and there. This is what Porsche's decision to step back at the end of the year is going to do within our industry. Uh, There's no way that it cannot. So for every manufacturer that has been thinking, financially we're taking a hit with a super downturn in automotive sales. Can't really justify spending millions on a factory racing program anymore. But I don't know if we want to risk losing the hearts and minds of our fans by being the first one to say we're out in reaction to the coronavirus. Or you have others, and this is where Porsche falls, one of optics. There's also the financial aspect. There's certainly going to be millions and millions of dollars saved by not competing in IMSA in 2021. But this is more of an optics thing, as name the amount of people. Many, many people no longer have jobs or are furloughed or are struggling financially. Porsche being part of the giant world's biggest collection, the Volkswagen Audi group, they're not ones that are necessarily on the unemployment line financially, but this is certainly, Graham, one of optics where you go, oh, yeah, if we're going to be all in and we're going to bear some of the brunt of the financial challenge everyone within the VAG network is encountering, well, we probably shouldn't be out here playing race car uh, and knowingly and publicly spending millions while a person who was selling cars on a Porsche dealership floor somewhere in the United States two months ago is currently collecting unemployment benefits or struggling to pay rent, mortgage, or otherwise. So I'd say due to the size of the brand, this is more about optics than true, oh, Boy, if we save that amount of money, it's truly going to keep us from filing for bankruptcy. True bottom line, though, Graham, is because of the history of Porsche, because of their stature and importance in sports car racing and just racing in general, I do believe we're going to be writing a number of these kinds of stories in the coming days and weeks I, none of us want to do that, but, and I'm going to hand this back to you. When Porsche says, Alvita saying, it's not permanent, but we need to, we need to step away from our factory racing right now. Boy, uh, you want to talk about being the brave first one into the breach. That is the invitation for all others who did not want to be the first to follow right behind and make similar announcements. I have to say, don't disagree. The 
common word for the majority of people that contacted me in the immediate aftermath of this in the business. Uh, that means with teams, with manufacturers, with serious partners. And there was a common word, and that word was dominoes, and they weren't talking pizza. Um, I expect we are going to see more. We have had other announcements, uh, principally, and I don't think this one comes up the questions. It's happened just a few hours before we sat down to record this, is uh, Bentley. Um, and they're pulling their M Sports factory-backed IGTC, that's the SRO Intercontinental GT Challenge um, program. So the factory-backed team will no longer contest the remainder of that season. doesn't mean to say that Bentley are gone from that. It means that they would rely on uh, manufacturer-nominated privateer teams, albeit some of them with uh, their factory drivers. But, yeah, I have to say, much as we don't at the moment have much of a sight on what's coming next, there is that feeling that this is not going to be the last uh, and that this is going to be something of a long haul. Uh, and by no means, by the way, uh, is this going to be something that is uh, just our part of the sport uh, in sports cars, endurance racing, GT racing. We've already seen Audi pulling out of DTM. Um, we have seen and heard the concerns that there are about a number of Formula One teams, for instance, Williams up for sale. Um, this is a hard hit for a very important global industry. And the, well, the Bentley announcement, for instance, came off the back of an announcement earlier in the day that a thousand jobs are going at their crew plant. That's about 20% of the, uh, the numbers of people employed there. Same with McLaren. Um, same with uh, Rolls-Royce with jobs uh, they are looking shaky there too. It's not the time, is it, to be in a kind of luxury performance car brand, I'm afraid, uh, because the backside has fallen out that marketplace. It does leave, though, the second part of this, uh, this, this series of questions, MP. What do you do about responding to that? So what that leaves us with would be Porsche, Aston Martin, Ferrari in the WEC, BMW and Corvette in IMSA. Five factories still involved, uh, albeit, you know, we've not lost a factory to GTE class racing, but you have in the USA. Uh, but we get to the stage where it is two different groups of exclusive manufacturers in two different series. <sighs> Can we afford to lose another? We certainly can't afford to lose another one in the States. Can we afford to lose another one? Or is now the time with a hard-pressed group of uh, people behind both those series having to put some uh, manpower, some effort, some resource uh, into finding out what Plan B might look like and when might that come? Would that come as soon as 2021? Or do they tough it out and wait for 2022? And all this, by the way, while they're still trying to pull together conversions. So as we feared when we spoke last year upon Ford's formal announcement of its departure from IMSA, saying that we're down to three, we're down to three two-car factory efforts in GTLM, all it takes is one more to pull the plug, and its sustainability, viability takes us from discomfort at three entries, six cars, to mild panic with two entries, four cars, well, we now know it's here. 
It's coming. Looking, Graham, just tiny bit ahead. As we've said before on the show, we are aware of one auto manufacturer that has been contemplating a GTLM entry for the very first time. Not a WEC GTE, but strictly American IMSA and GTLM. We know there's one that's been looking at it, uh, pretty kind of sort of serious about it. Nothing ready to go. Nothing ready to come and backfill Porsche. And this was all prior, well prior to the coronavirus and the financial complications that it has brought. So if we look at this immediate scenario at the end of November, I should say at the final lap of the 12 hours of Sebring in November, Porsche will no longer be a factory effort in GTLM. Is there something or someone ready to step right in? Not that I am aware of from a factory standpoint. Then there's the other option. As you mentioned Risi Competizione has links to Ferrari, uh, has been a factory team uh, at times, and more of an independent, you know, works affiliated effort in recent years. Is there someone that could step in? buy those Porsche 911 RSRs, second-generation ones, and run them independently. I don't know on the could side. Uh, we obviously know on your side, Graham, with WEC, GTE Pro, and GTE AM, we know about customer sales on the AM side, but haven't heard much about Porsche's willingness to do so here in the States up till this point. So it's a good question to ask. We hope to get some clarification on that. Would you, could you sell the cars that are currently being campaigned by the Porsche GT team? Or if you wanted to hold on to those for whatever reason, would you sell new ones to privateers? Would you? Again, don't know. I am somewhat confident in saying, though, Graham, the person willing to do that or entrance willing to do that buy factory-grade GTLM cars from Porsche and then campaign them independently, it's a dream. It's a dream we would love to see. I could not tell you who that might be, who is sitting on the millions upon millions to do that just out of left field. All of a sudden, in 2021, in the mid of a global recession, who knows where we'll be at with a pandemic at that point in time. I am unaware of new factories ready to put cars in the grid so we don't feel the numerical loss come January at Daytona. And I am unaware of the wealthy and passionate privateer wanting to do that as well with Porsche or who knows, Fords or pick whatever brand it might be. Final little note on this point, and again, we've got plenty of other questions within this Porsche GTLM uh, subject from our awesome listeners, is so what would we say is going to be a realistic reaction? What is that thing that just might happen to bring this forth? Apparently, the police are coming to get me. Um Could this be something, Graham, where, who knows, maybe out of nowhere, John Bennett 
who owns the core autosport team that runs this program for Porsche. Maybe he'll just decide, no, want to keep the crew going, want to keep things going. I'll just pay for it out of pocket like he did last year with the an independent Nissan Nismo, I should say, affiliated DPI. Well, again, I'm just trying to think of all alternatives here. And I've heard his name mentioned. Hey, he's a guy who's come out of pocket significantly. Maybe he could just keep this thing going on his own. Well, if you read any of the stories that I wrote, you wrote, whomever wrote upon Core Autosport withdrawing from IMSA's DPI factory category last year after doing a single season, there was one and one and only thing mentioned. Holy crap, that's expensive. (laughs) That has reached my slash our internal limit uh, of comfort almost immediately. It was brutally expensive, and we weren't the least bit competitive against the full might of the factories. So you have a guy in John Bennett who's awesome and has spent a lot of his money over the years to compete in the American Le Mans series and IMSA, etc. He went the independent all pro route last year and could not get out of it fast enough strictly due to the wickedly prohibitive costs involved with running a single Nissan DPI. The thought of him continuing the, uh, keeping the band going with the Porsche 911 RSRs coming out of his own pocket. Uh, I would say it would definitely exceed the costs involved with the Nissan. So I don't see that as an option as well. I think, my friend, I think we're looking at a maximum, and maybe hand this back to you on the, where do you think BMW might be, where do you think Corvette might be in reaction to Porsche's announcement? I'd say we are planning for a maximum of four full-time cars on the GTLM grid next year, discounting Risi Competizione in their part-time appearances. I tend to agree with you. I mean, for me... As things stand, if GTLM stays as a class, and that's a big kind of statement to make, isn't it, at this stage, um, Corvette have still a new car, uh, a car that is in the process of being launched, effectively, as a global halo car for General Motors. And all other things being equal, unfortunately they're not, you tend to suggest that is a program that has got at least some form of stockade around it. BMW, we've talked before about BMW and about at times how flaky their commitment can be to a motorsport program. I can't today tell you, you know, that that's not at risk. I mean, right now, I have to tell you, I think every program is at risk. Every single one uh, is at risk. That's, That's not an overstatement. That's a reality. When you're getting to the stage where a global auto manufacturers are laying off double digits of percentage of their workforces. When, we can, when we're living in a world where a company like Renault uh, are potentially at risk of survival, okay, um, then the realities here need to be, you need to swallow hard and strap yourselves in here. Um, what I'm hearing from an awful lot of manufacturers in at times formal and other times informal contacts is there is one 
uh, phrase and one phrase only that keeps coming up, and that is customer racing. Uh, factory racing is going to be increasingly difficult to justify um, in this current situation. Uh, you know, it's it's worth repeating. A long chat with Paul Williams, who's the reasonably recently, within a year of him taking over from Brian Gush at the helm of Bentley Motorsports, and effectively what he's saying is, look, you know, a lot of the moves that have been made globally by race organisers have been very good. He, he likes convergence uh, in the prototype field. There's every reason to believe that Bentley were talking to people about potentially doing it. Not anymore. That's gone. That's not going to be a thing, uh, not for some little time yet. Um, effectively, waiting until, if and when, we get back to any kind of level of profitability before you can start to, to realistically knock on the door of a board uh, for one of these companies and make a bid for the kind of quantum, you know, quantities of um, dollars, euros, sterling, take your choice, they're going to be required in putting a car onto the grid. It's worth actually probably just mentioning a baseline figure for IMSA for a season MP. Now, I don't know what figure you have in mind, but the figure I've got in mind is, broadly speaking, what it costs for a full season at the base level, which is full-season GTD. And my figures have that at somewhere between 4 and $5 million. Yeah, three and a half to four is, is about the round roundish numbers that I regularly hear. Yeah, uh, and that, by the way, is, is a level at which some of the people driving those cars are helping to fund it, not a factory-backed effort. And the, the concern I've got, I think, with the ability of IMSA in particular to, what's the right word here, to evolve part of their GTD grid into a kind of semi-pro or pro uh, class to replace GT11 in the near future is, I'm not sure where that comes from. Uh, there are seven manufacturers from memory involved in GTD racing in uh, in the USA. McLaren haven't got any money at the moment. They're laying staff off. Acura are already involved in DPI. Porsche have just pulled out of factory racing uh, at the end of this year. They're not going to be uh, picking up that. Ferrari, we've talked about Ferrari. There doesn't appear to be an immediately obvious avenue for Ferrari into any kind of pro formula there. The you know, the obvious team would be someone like WeatherTech Racing, but the reality is you're talking about a full pro effort here. And God bless him, Cooper McNeil. I like Cooper, but he's not a full factory driver. Um, you've got Lexus and Lamborghini, uh, both there. My, you know what? They're two uh, organisations, Marshall, that I think have both got their eyes on the top class if they're going to do anything and not in GT racing, which leaves you with one, which is AMG. I have to say... And this, by the way, is not just aimed at the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. It's aimed globally. I'm not feeling too great about full factory-level GT racing worldwide right now. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I would just say, if there was any question about anything that we have shared so far on the show about manufacturer in Porsche and manufacturers we believe are going to follow suit. None of that, at least from these lips, is being said in a negative or critical way. This is, as I have seen in my life, 
this is absolutely normal and absolutely necessary. You know, racing in its most base form is advertising. And I mean, the minute the good old Corolla virus struck, as the comedian Brent Terhune calls it, the minute the Corolla virus struck, uh, I know some of my clients were hit <laughs> within days of, hey, yeah. so you know the advertising plans we had and when we were going to spend money with you and you're going to put stuff out that kind of put our had our name and what we were trying to do? Well, yeah, uh, not doing that anymore. And it wasn't, again, nothing negative or critical being said there. It's just reality. What all of us, I believe, most all of us, have done in the last three months or so is some variation of the let me open my online banking account, look at the routine monthly charges, decide what is absolutely necessary to keep and what are the comfort and fun items that are not and let me start unsubscribing canceling whatever whatever it is let me go through my monthly financials and find all the things that i can cut and remove in order to improve my odds of financial survival well (laughs) this is the same exact thing porsche and others are doing again realize for some it might be more the optics than the true uh, threat of financial collapse, but that's parsing the minutia. This is the same thing taking place uh, among auto manufacturers saying, hey, this is a fun and entertaining thing that we like to do. There is value yeah, that comes back to us. We do sell things, cars and otherwise, as a result of doing this, but we have other ways that we also promote and sell our products and this one is just maybe a little bit too expensive or too frilly for our liking when things are hard. And so I get it. We've seen it. You've seen it happen many times in your career, as have I. And we will, as you've mentioned, Graham, many times in recent weeks on the show, we will collectively get through this. We will survive. We will be back. The vast majority of the manufacturers who do end up leaving, I do believe will be back at some point in time in the near future. Uh, but this is, this is the script friends. This is truly the script of how these things go down and the manner in which they go down when a global economy starts, Thanks. starts leaking oil and chucks pistons out of the block. So here we are. What other aspects, Graham, of the numerous opening questions in IMSA uh, should we consider before moving on to another category? Let's add a couple of quick uh, points in here. One comes from our good friend Andy Blackmore. Hi, Andy. Hi, Andy. He's still awesome. He's getting old now, but he's still awesome. Yeah. Um, He's asking, amongst other things, um, who could convert the current cars they've got to GT3? Uh, spec. Now, we know the Ferrari 488 GTE is a pretty easy convert. 
We know that the Aston Martin, not one for IMSA, but WEC, um, there is a conversion there that can be done, five hours, five guys, um, and that car can be and has raced in both GT3 and GTE. Uh, we know the Porsche cannot. Uh, we know the BMW cannot, but we are told that the uh, Corvette C8R can be converted. Now, whether or not that's a permanent conversion or a reversible process, I couldn't honestly tell you, but that is a possibility. Uh, we also know, by the way, that both Porsche and BMW do have a GT3 products in their customer racing range and uh, both have raced with kind of factory backed efforts in various races and series there's some big questions to be asked here and it's a this is a you know it's a tough call isn't it what do you do do you tough it through as let's face it has happened this season with both uh, the IMSA Weather Sports Car Championship or the, and the WEC with the loss of Ford with a reduced number but it is just how far can you afford to let those numbers slip, MP, before you've got something that is not a class worthy of the name for class, really. We've sort of seen it in the past with uh, Corvette racing against themselves for a season. Um, it talks actually to the final one from, uh, from the IMSA side on, on this, which comes from uh, Sean Duhamel which basically says, what are, the, what are the lessons from history about these things? What do we know from the recent and medium-term history of racing when something like this occurs? And I think that is, Sean, expecting, as we do, that we've not seen the last of this. Oh, boy, if we're talking lessons, I think, talking IMSA here, since this is where this yep. has gone down first, would say the lesson is something that's actually already been underway a little bit. And that is if you want to get manufacturers back, be sure to give them reasons that they can't find right now. So Porsche is not pulling out because of anything that IMSA has done. That's again, obvious, but just feel the need to, uh, to state that. This is a case where, if we're talking lessons, the ones that should be adhered to by IMSA in any other series facing similar things, make sure you give those manufacturers big reasons to come back once they are able. And in this case, you've mentioned a few times about how many manufacturers have expressed interest, including Porsche, in IMSA's upcoming DPI 2.0 class. I still struggle to call it LMDH. Um, this is due. This is coming in. It's scheduled for 2022. I don't necessarily believe that's going to end up holding in terms of a date. But regardless, we know that not too far away on the calendar, we will have a situation where a new prototype formula will be here. It will be hybrid. It is meant to include a higher level of branding uh, a visual branding, more road car DNA type stuff built into the bodywork. IMSA's already been moving along this line, so that's a really good thing. Keep going in that direction. Keep offering something that is unique, that is hard to say no to. One clear adjustment, or say just say increase to a much higher level 
than maybe it already was. That is just the cost side. Okay, here's some new and unique things we can offer you that might entice you back. Great. What's the key thing, Graham? We know that any manufacturer like Porsche is going to be dealing with while making that decision to a immensely high degree cost. <laughs> what what yeah. would be bringing us back something where we couldn't ignore it, got to do it, but the costs fall in line with something we can get past our board of directors. Everyone's leaving, or I'm sorry, every manufacturer that leaves will be leaving due to budget downturns or the optics of spending money foolishly on things that don't matter while human lives are negatively impacted. So that's the fear that is pushing manufacturers out to get them back. Maybe some of those really cool, interesting things that might have cost a little bit more money, well, those maybe need to be considered, Graham, to come off the board. Uh, Maybe just some of the general allowances, right? Hey, we're going to let you do, you know, 100 days of wind tunnel testing with your new DPI 2.0 model, whatever. Those are hugely expensive. I'm just making up a number, by the way. Uh, Maybe that's now five. Maybe that's 10. Maybe it's none. Maybe you can do all the cfd work that you want you can do all the simulation you want but no one can rent a wind tunnel yeah again granted or those who have them in-house you can't use it i don't know i'm just trying to think of the things where you go okay what financial thorns can we remove from your paw that will help you look at dpi 2.0 gtlm whatever class as something that just you got to be there but you're not going to have to be almost on the, the verge of tears uh, trying to figure out ways to justify the costs. So yeah. those are the lessons as I see them. I'll add one more, which is, and I think it's a lesson that's been learned in the prototype uh, field and in particular in the, on the other side of the, the pond with the WEC and LMP1, which is don't make it difficult for people to come. Don't we know you're looking for factory entries, but don't load the deck in such a way that you almost punish people for coming with uh, an outlying entry. Um, I think we saw that as the the um, LMP1 hybrids went away. Uh, there were people there ready to come and step up, but it took too long for the rule book to catch up with the fact that what was actually required here was racing. And I'd like to see some changes in that regard. We're going to be going through a period where I don't think sports car racing in quite some time will have relied on privateer entries as much as they will do for the next, for the coming two or three years. And those entries are not going to be easy to come by. Remember, the impact that this has had, as Marshall quite rightly said, on your bank balance, balancing Netflix, don't do that because your duty has been, of course, to sit your ass down and watch Netflix. Um, the, the impact it's had on your bank balance is going to be reflected by the impact it's had on your savings. And if you're at a completely different level of earnings and savings and investments, as many of our friends in the paddock are that help to fund these fantastic efforts, then it's going to have an impact on you too. And that uh, impact is going to be at a level that would make most of us eyes water. Um, It's not going to be easy to find a way forward with that either. That might mean 
that we have to do less racing, that calendars have to be less ambitious. We talked about this on the weekend sports cars and choices that might be made by IMSA. Uh, we've talked about it in, the, in terms of the WEC and feedback that WEC are getting from teams to say, we need this not to be nine races for the next couple of years. Those are going to be important choices. They are the lessons I think that need to be learned, which is we know this is hurting the race organisers too. It's hurting the businesses of the two gentlemen you're listening to right now. Um, as Marshall has quite rightly said, me too. I've been earning a whole lot of money since February. I can tell you that for nothing. Um, but it is time where we are to play our part if we want to come out with a functional business on the other side. And that is not going to be weeks and it's not going to be months. Strap yourselves in. This is going to be a very, very bumpy ride. And that's before we start talking about the technological and, and um, uh, sustainability challenges that are facing, we're already facing the automotive world and motorsports. Uh, this is going to be a very challenging time moving forward. And you are going to get very used indeed to us having these sorts of debates about these sorts of subjects prompted by another decision positive or negative, from a, an organisation, large or small, about whether or not they're prepared to put their dollars down and go racing for theirs and our entertainment. I think that's about as done. You know what? Not surprising, because I'm just looking further down the list here. Uh, Joshua Ponce, uh, Michael Bredgick, Matt Anderson, etc., etc. It Almost everything um, falls out from the... Um, the decision announced uh, yesterday by Porsche about IMSA and, and you know completely understand it is one of the cornerstones of sports car racing worldwide but that realistically at the moment MP is what we've got for IMSA let's hope things can be turned around we'll wait and hear what IMSA have got to say uh, as they move through the current period into getting back to racing and to do with convergence and now another challenge that's been thrown their way. It's been a busy, busy time for the guys down at Daytona Beach, hasn't it? Oh, Lord, it has. All right. Well, we are officially moving to Weck Aslam Elms Aco. That being better known as the Graham Goodwin section, specifically in our weekly sports car conversation Start with our man, right turn lover. Graham, do you expect all three current DPI manufacturers? Oh, well, that's in the wrong place, isn't it? <laughs> um, that's uh, yes, that's the answer question. Let me ask you this one. Right turn lover says, <laughs> do you expect all three current DPI manufacturers to recommit, make, recommit for LMDH? And we're going to leave this in. Why? Hey, um, I refer to my week in IndyCar listener Q&A show as my unpolished turd. Maybe the week in sports cars is my slightly polished turd of a show. So we're just going to leave it in. That's going to be the new policy. That's I think fine. we That's started fine. last week. We just we leave so the nonsense we, what in. Do we think about, what do we think about Mazda Acura and Cadillac uh, and the prospects for 2022? Well, funny you should ask. Uh, received a text uh, from a, we'll just say a hypercar constructor today. Um, who was on a European television uh, show talking about Le Mans. Apparently, the fine American LMDH slash 
DPI, as it's currently known, constructor Cadillac, was scheduled to join the video appearance uh, to talk about convergence, and at least according to the information given to me by this hypercar constructor, uh, our friends at Cadillac canceled the appearance, saying that their future plans were not set. So that's not news. You and I have said this. Might have been mostly me, but you and I have said this on the show for a while now. And that's, again, not spoken in a negative tone. We're not at LMDH time. There's no need for any of the current DPI manufacturers to start making new cars right now. This would really be more of a getting into late 2020 time cycle before such things would really begin and then have a car to start testing, shaking down in 2021. Again, pick the time, June, July, August, September, you know, somewhere in that range, I believe. Timing-wise, the first Cadillac DPI was doing testing in, I think it was uh, late August, September-ish of 2016. So, again, if we're just talking when it needs to happen, um, we're not there. So Cadillac, which, again, I've, I've heard informally, uh, has not been in a place of saying, yep, we're there. We haven't heard any brand of the three right turn lovers say, or whatever it is, whenever it is, we're going to be there with an LMDH. Of the three, I would say Acura is the one that jumps out as the most likely to return no matter what. It's a Honda Performance Development facilitated effort. Budget-wise, as I understand it, it is indeed uh, coming out of the Acura side, knowing that, again, this is their American luxury and performance brand separate from Honda, which is involved in many, many forms of motor racing. So would say the Acura side stands out as, if we're ranking one, two, three, uh, would say they're number one. They're on pole, in my mind, to return. Mazda, I don't have a feel yet. I know that there's a, a desire, okay, because I've heard that desire spoken of wanting to continue, but there's certainly been no formal anything from them. Definite positive in their North American CEO, Morosan, who's come over from the mothership in Japan. He's a huge, huge supporter of DPI and the brand's involvement there. So unless someone above Morosan says no, I would say if they have the budget to do it and the economic timing is right with whatever recession uh, is going on, again, Provided the environment is right, I definitely think Acura will be back. I'd say there's really strong chances Mazda will as well. Cadillac's the only one that stood out to me for a little while as, huh, not totally sure because they are such a big company. We're also pretty good here, Graham, in the U.S. at uh, publicizing any labor issues with... uh, auto workers and such, uh, I mean, it, it's hard for something negative to happen and it not to be headline news. And so GM 
We know that they've had some of their challenges of late. Certainly the Corolla virus hasn't helped. I would say of the three, the two that I've mentioned at the top of the list, Acura and Mazda, certainly ones that I think our odds are pretty strong there. Um, After that, I'm not totally sure if I'm extra confident in saying Cadillac will be there. And we hope to hear confirmation that they will, and everything will be great in that capacity. That's a big company, and they are very publicly aware, and they are very quickly criticized for any and all things. So just sensitivity-wise, Graham, they are ones who have maybe far more to consider about recommitting to DPI 2.0 or committing to it, but staying in DPI, uh, just a lot of other factors that I would say the other two brands in there at the moment wouldn't necessarily be sweating as hard. Yeah, uh, I think I'd uh, tend to agree with that one. Now we are going to move on to warehouse. Yes, we are. And this is time for you to throw stuff at me like a frenzied chimpanzee. Yes. Not that I'm saying that you look in any way like a frenzy chimpanzee. Well, let me get some coffee and the frenzy will start. Topic <laughs> close to your heart. Coming in from our man Daniel Summersgill. Graham, what is your opinion on the condensed Asian Le Mans series schedule in 2021? This is hashtag me personally, the official hashtag of the Marshall Pro Podcast. It is the only way they could try to get the series running next year. So the only concern would be if a car is badly damaged in round one, and then they'll be out for the whole season. Um, sh- catch us up to speed on the changes yeah. here. Right, so first things first, it is indeed going to stick with a four-race, four, four times four-hour race format. Uh, this was a series supposed to be getting underway in mid-late November at Suzuka, carrying on into December at Shanghai. Neither of those races is going to take place. Instead, uh, we are going to have all four races in a three-week period at two uh, different circuits. Two races at the Chang International Circuit, a.k.a. Buran in Thailand, and then uh, a week and a half later, uh, we're going to have further two races at Sepang International Circuit in Malaysia. It will be a mix, and the, uh, the format of those races not yet determined, but a mix of daytime, twilight, and nighttime races. So all four races will take place. I'm happy to confirm unless things change that I will be at all four of those races and that we're going to be back with the TV offering that we've done successfully in the recent past. The one downside in terms of my and our regular uh, habits MP is that will mean that I will not be at the Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona because it does have that clash. However, it ticks a lot of boxes. Box number one that it ticks is it's going to save the team's a substantial chunk of change. Now, estimated, depending on which team I've spoken to and which cars they're running, up between 80 and 150,000 euro uh, for that series because, of course, it does mean that they can see freight the cars in and they can see freight the cars home. It keeps it clear of even the kind of wiggle room that might be required for ELMS WEC. Um, so it gives the, the rest of the ACO family a bit more... Uh, opportunity for a plan B should that be needed 
Uh, it means teams can have a standalone season in Asia. It also means, by the way, uh, that they can have time enough to see freight their cars back in time for testing for the European season 2021, if that starts at a normal time. Um, it's been thoroughly discussed with current and what I gather are potential additional customer teams. I have had literally no negative feedback about the, the way in which Sior Tejfarland and his senior management team have handled that with their customers. Had lots of real pluses on that front. I think he's got it right, I think is the answer. I think what he's done is he's cleared the decks. Um, I think that the numbers that emerge are going to be very interesting. I suspect he may have pulled a bit of a blinder here, that we might actually see this proving to be a good use of time and available budget for, by some of those teams that will be looking to secure, for instance, a Le Mans slot. Uh, the new formula, which requires, um, it's basically multiples of six uh, LMP2 cars to get one uh, Le Mans entry. So anything up to six cars, there'll be one entry. Six to 12, it'll be two, etc., etc. Uh, I think they'll be at two. Um, I think reasonably comfortably. Uh, there is regret, of course, that they won't be going to Suzuka. There is regret, of course, already expressed that, uh, again, in search of reduction of costs, that we're not going back to the bend in uh, Australia. We're made to feel very welcome there. But both of those circuits are very much on the future plans when we get back to uh, some more common sense. Remember, this is not like IMSA and it's not like the WEC. This is not a series that has any factory input whatsoever. So your reliance on the patronage of the wealthy amateurs who fund the professional teams in LMP2, in LMP3, and in the uh, Asian Le series case, the GT class, which is GT3 cars. And I think things are looking pretty solid there at the moment. Uh, it is a case of hashtag wait and see. Uh, but at the moment, I think he's played it very, very well. And he's been winning friends as a result of that um, around the racing industry who have been putting out one or two clarion calls of late. One is, we need to get back racing. Two is, we need to save money and lots of it. And I think that ticks the boxes. It is, I have to tell you, MP, I don't know how you feel about this one. It's the one series today that I'm involved with in any way that I genuinely feel almost confident enough to pick up the phone or open up a browser and book a flight. Um, that's long, far enough away that I feel reasonably confident we're going to be back to some degree of normality by the time we get to that point. And because there's so limited uh, travel involved when you're out there, it's, it's a reasonably efficient way of getting through a full season. That, that's where I believe we are. Uh, that's where Sultesh Farland tells me we are. That's where the teams that are involved with that series also tell me they are. And we, you know, we wait and see once the European Le Mans series gets underway and gets towards the end of uh, action there, how many of those teams from Europe and how many teams from Asia start to turn in the direction of doing what uh, they're trying to do in ACO Rules Racing. There's one further thing to say, by the way, about this, and that is... 
one series at the moment that does seem to be struggling for a bit of traction in terms of getting a season underway is the GT World Challenge Asia. Uh, that is becoming very compressed in terms of the available dates that would be required. And I do wonder whether or not a degree of collaboration, cooperation, uh, or even opportunism on one side or the other might actually see numbers for maybe the Asia Le Mans series, maybe the GT World Challenge Asia, uh, boosted somewhat by any available option there is to compress those schedules because teams need it, the industry needs it. Uh, I think it's a winner for them in extraordinary circumstances. We're going to know by the time we get to about November whether I'm right or I'm wrong and whether or not they've got a healthy entry or an unhealthy one. I will proudly state that I have wondered on more than one occasion how much better the FIA World Endurance Championship would be doing today if Cyril Teshwalin was the man in charge of it. I'm serious. Uh, Cyril just impresses me, has impressed me from the moment that I met him and from the moment that I started to see the impression he has had upon what was a somewhat moribund, forgotten, almost insignificant uh, championship with the Asian Le Mans series. And would say my only concern, if that were to happen, is I believe the Asian Le Mans series would suffer drastically and fall into great disrepair, if not collapse. So he is in the perfect position. Uh, I just wonder uh, if he's not destined for bigger things, or is there someone he could start grooming to replace him if uh, if folks at the FI realize that, you know, maybe we would be able to benefit in two ways if Sarah was able to train a direct replacement for him in the Asian Le Mans series and try his ran his hand running the WEC. So huge fan of his and think that like John Doonan taking over IMSA, we are in store for brighter and brighter days ahead. Let's go to Let's hope so because yeah. Go ahead. That's fine, right? Thank you you go ahead. No. You go ahead. Uh, we're going to take two folks here, Damien Peachman and our, he's not a peach, but he is our my podcast spirit vegetable, Ryan Terpstra, on the topic of the gear team moving to GTE Pro at Le Mans. Any idea, uh, shortlisted drivers he might recruit? Ryan says, I would think Simone Di Silvestro might be available if they're running a Porsche instead of a Ferrari, uh, Damien Requires whether Christina Nielsen uh, would be the most obvious choice there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, thoughts on Gears move up, and also best candidates for them to consider. Yeah, well, it's it comes on the back of them struggling to actually find. Uh, my guess is paying bronze drivers or capable bronze drivers uh, for that car. It also the question comes because of the, if you like, clash on that entry with the uh, full-season Richard Mille racing team Orica and LMP2, which includes Tatiana Calderon and Catherine Legg on the uh, on the entry. So the question does come if gear racing are going to go with an all-female cast list. 
just exactly who might be on that. I, I'd point you in the direction of one other announcement that's been made this week, which is the W Series will not be racing in 2020, which means that there are a number of talented young ladies uh, who will indeed be fully available whenever the Le Mans 24 Hours uh, takes place. Um, the likes of Jamie Chadwick, I think, would be a good call there. There's others, too, on that list. And I don't think there's going to be a shortage of available or capable um, female drivers to join on, on hope. And I would expect Christina Nielsen to be kind of part of that. There'd be others as well that uh, I think would be uh, interesting to see um, uh, being given a crack. But someone like Jamie Chadwick, who has got some pretty good... Um, uh, experience in GT cars. I don't think Abby Eaton would be on that list, but it would be interesting to see whether or not uh, she she might be considered. A uh, bit of experience in British GT racing for Abby, but uh, more widely known, of course, as the um, the pro driver nowadays in the Grand Tour on Amazon Prime with the old Top Gear uh, Three Idiots. If I uh, uh, recall, Alice Powell joining Catherine Leg yes. last year at VIR. In her former team, Marshank Racing, the uh, Jackie Heinricher Racing program there. So the there's no shortage, is there? Which is, <sighs> I I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it just struck me as sad. Have we ever been able to say that <laughs> about skilled, talented, deserving women uh, to be invited? to compete in a quality seat at one of the world's biggest motor races. Uh, we are rarely, if ever, able to say, boy, that's going to be a tough one. Too many to choose from. Uh, again, hopefully statements that will just become uh, boringly normal in the years ahead. Let's go to our man, Tom Firth. It says, Graham, what's the likely outcome of Porsche's WEC? gte program in light of their imsa exit says if they were to switch to a customer focus only the wec would porsche still be classified as an official series manufacturer as is the case with ferrari competizione and gt uh, the answer in wc is that that program at the moment at least, at least is not at risk very explicit in the announcement received just a couple of days ago the WC program with Porsche will continue in GTE Pro. Uh, so for 2021, at the very least, uh, that, that program is secure. There is no talk at the moment about uh, looking for a kind of customer program there. So that's a pretty easy one to answer. Explicitly, when we were told that the IMSA program was gone, the WC program will remain. And to answer that question as well, by the way, about uh, whether or not this is directly linked in with LMDH plans. Two-tier answer for that. LMDH could have been axed as a result of this, presumably review, uh, and made very clear that actually the um, the evaluation of LMDH has survived that first cut, but made explicitly clear and repeatedly so by everybody I've spoken to that these are not one and the same decision. It is not saving money from IMSA to ensure an LMDH program. The decision on LMDH has not been made. So the evaluation continues on, on LMDH, uh, but the two issues are not directly linked. Whether or not they have an impact on each other remains to be seen. Uh, but uh, the two are not directly linked. And add just this, though, 
is remember the last time um, that Porsche went prototype racing in the United States uh, in effectively the predecessor to IMSA was with the Porsche uh, Spider RS Spider. That was not a Porsche Germany project. That was a Porsche North America project. Uh, so I think there's a lot of dice to be thrown in this game before we actually see uh, whether or not we've cracked out. One or two more to go. We'll mention to George Buter. Uh, I know you've sent in your question about Porsche GTE Pro brake changes and such. I just don't know if Graham and I have the mental bandwidth to answer that properly. <laughs> uh, I do love the fact, thanks, Nick Dovniak. I do love the fact that we we almost need to carve out a special segment each week on the subject of Janetta not getting a fair shake, Janetta getting jerked around, why isn't Janetta... There's just uh, clearly a, a passionate uh, vein for the Janetta brand uh, that really genuinely shows up. At, we don't take it every week. Just but there's a, one more time here. Oh, Jesus. It, no, no, one more time. Okay. One more time. <laughs> genuinely, just spill back to literally everything we've said in this program so far about what's been happening over the last few days and the fact that we expect more of it. I cannot countenance how ill-advised it is to turn away a company that wants to do this. I, I can't imagine what is going on that makes that feel like the right thing to do today. I can't imagine it. If it's not being reconsidered, I genuinely would like to know the reason why. I genuinely would like to know the reason why, because I simply don't understand it. I've read the same story some of the rest of you have read about uh, Lawrence being in conversation with seems about using potentially genetic technology as a basis of a hypercar, etc., etc. You know that's great, but the reality is that uh, the prospects of those kind of projects coming forward in exactly the same way as I explained earlier about Bentley have been damaged significantly over the last two or three months of what the world has suffered. I, I, I'd love to know just exactly why we are where we are with the Ginetta brand. And frankly, it doesn't matter whether or not it's Ginetta, whether or not that was, you know, any other brand out there. I'd still like to understand why that decision was taken because I cannot believe that the circumstances today, Marshall, are even remotely on the same planet as they were when this was initially announced in January. I can't believe that, that there's not been a moment where someone is thinking, is this a sensible move to make right now to count somebody out who's prepared to put their money down? Can you? We decried the lack of intelligence in providing borders and restrictions at a time when alienating and walling off those within our sport, big or small manufacturers, who wanted to be in. We decried the fact that it's just ignorant, stupid. Name everything that questions the intelligence of those who came to that decision. That's what it was. And I know, again, passionate response for Janetta, but frankly, this isn't meant to be limited to Janetta, but they've certainly become the lightning rod of this. Uh, Do I think, Graham, that those decisions made pre-coronavirus, pre- global financial hardship do i think that whatever idiocy that was involved then 
could be revisited and de-idiified. There's a new one for you, by the way, Jacob Bame. Do I think that there could be a uh, a bit of a re-rolling of the tape here to go, huh, okay, we looked back and we came up with it thinking that we were all good and everyone's going to be running in, spending a ton of money, and then the bottom dropped out, and maybe we shouldn't be such, cover your ears, assholes about it? I would hope so. Um, and this is your segment, so I'm not going to say very many more words, but no, I will well, just I'll, tell I'll just you think- that the decision makers as to which constructors can or can't play so on and so forth uh i know that the folks on my side at imsa were kind of there at the table in a role where they could kind of go thanks um the decision came by and large from the folks in the series that you tend to cover and yeah uh not smart then looking especially short-sighted now if they are intelligent, if they want to prove that they are effective leaders and uh, qualified leaders, we will at some point in time in the very near future hear from them that they have revisited this topic, Graham, and said, SMP, <laughs> run down the list, Alpine, yep. yada, hey, if you want to build it and come, we're not going to stop you because yep. we're not in a I position to close the door on anybody right now. That, that, I think, is the overarching point here, and I think it's uh, it's spoken to by a number of people. Pete Lafitte's asked a question as well. Great name, by the way, Pete. Um, uh, a, a similar question on this kind of front. Um, and I think I'm looking for some recognition that things have changed. That's, I think, the, the, the condensed version of this. Things have changed and have changed very dramatically. As we've repeatedly said on the weekend sports cars. Nobody here, including our listeners, underestimates the challenges to the people making the rules and trying to deliver these events. But I think I'm looking for some recognition that the circumstances in a very short time have changed and those circumstances are going to be with us for an extended period of time. And I'd like to see some recognition that that has been understood. And, you know, I can't for a second believe, well, I know, um, that the number of people potentially around the table for LMDH has not gone up in recent days and weeks. It's gone down. That's a reality. Time to have another look at the way the figures uh, come down, methinks. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll see whether or not uh, that comes out in the mix. Two questions to go in your world. Thomas yep. Pendergrass asks, should I book a flight to Le Mans in September? Well, Thomas, you'd be rather silly to wait till September, especially if it's after the 24-hour race. I would recommend before September. What says you, yeah. Graham? Um, I'd say this. Um, my levels of confidence about the Le Mans 24 hours happening in September are on the up at the moment. I will admit that remarkably recently, I was remarkably pessimistic that it would happen. Um I'm still struggling with the the concept of running the Le Mans 24 hours behind closed doors. I think that would be a remarkably difficult thing to manage. Would I be putting my hard-earned money down now to to book? Well, if you could find a killer price on a flight that you could get refunded, yeah. Um, but I certainly wouldn't be putting down money you can't afford to lose um, is – 
is my kind of feeling on it. I, I guess I'd say just this. It's a conversation I've had with more than one race organiser this week, which is you need, as soon as you possibly can, to tell me, as a working journalist, whether or not I will be able to attend your race meetings. Because if you can't tell me that, I cannot right now financially justify spending the money to put bookings in place that cannot be refunded. And if I'm not going to those race meetings, you can be reassured that if I'm not earning at those race meetings, because that's generally speaking where I earn my money if I'm not doing TV, it's actually in that paddock doing the various things that we do at Delhi Sports Ground with my other companies, um, then you can be reassured that I am not going to be sitting here in my office working on your behalf to line your coffers if I can actually go and do something else to earn money. There's not a lot of money earned in the last two or three months. Uh, this this talks a little bit, MP, to your um, debate, should we say, on last week's show about professional photographers. There are going to be some realities about what we're told we can and can't do by local, regional, national authorities and um, uh, public health organisations. There's also going to be some choices made. And am I going to be thrilled by the prospect that in certain name of driver is there with uh, hanger-on slash girlfriend slash wife uh, whilst I'm sitting at home not earning money? The answer is I'm not going to be very amused by that at all. Uh, we wait and see. I know that all the series that we look after and cover it, cover are working hard to make uh, sure if they possibly can that we can attend. But it is, as Thomas says, just one of those moments where I'm waiting to see. I'm waiting to see whether or not there's a business case for me to spend that money. I'm waiting right now to actually see whether or not I can justify um, getting online, going out and buying a new car rather than taking the uh, increasingly less than fun DSC fun bus, which is getting very leggy, as we say in the UK, in terms of the mileage on that car, um, I'm not very confident about putting another 10,000 miles on that to cover the European season in the winter. Uh, so at the moment, I've got to make a decision whether or not I'm going to spend money I don't have uh, on replacing that car. So the answer here is, it's a real-world question, Thomas. Am I putting my money down now? Not yet. Not yet. I'm waiting to see whether or not we go with plan A, or we have to go with plan B or even plan C, not just for the Le Mans 24 hours, but for other racing too. At the moment, it's all guns blazing, and we've been told the European Le Mans series will uh, carry on with its um, second iteration of the calendar uh, in mid-July in Paul Ricard. That's why you've been brushing up on your swimming lessons. You're Absolutely. really trying to get to Le Mans on the cheap. Wow. Okay. Last question here from John D., that's D E J O N D E E, uh, not J O N D period. I think runs a different sports car site. Uh, is the virtual twenty four hour Le Mans race the only esports race worth watching? You want to answer that, or shall I? I I'll tell you what I I hope for. Okay, I hope that it's allowed to be a decent mix of professional and fun, which is exactly the way that uh, a long-distance um, endurance race should be. I hope it retains some of the character. What I'm hoping not to see is too much overproduction. 
that they try to make this some kind of game show. Um, and I don't mean that in a derogatory fashion. I don't want it to be anything other than what it should be, which is a contest, a well-produced contest. Um, I don't, at the moment, I, I know something about the way that the, uh, the race is going to be produced, um, but I don't know all of it quite yet. I think that's beginning to emerge, and we'll see more as time goes on. Um, I'll certainly be looking in. Will I be watching it for the whole 24 hours? No. Um, we're making some plans to get some coverage of that on Daily Sports Car, and by the very dint that we're saying that, uh, that yes, uh, I think it's a significant event. I think it's going to be interesting with some of the names that are involved in that, the Felipe Massas, the Lando Norris's, the Charles Leclerc, that we've got those big names coming to that event. And would I like to see some of those talents, young and old, uh, coming back to play when the real race is run, uh, either this year or in future years? Of course I would. Watch that Lando Norris come up through the junior formula. I think he's an awesome talent. Um, but uh, is it likely to be the one worth watching? I think we'll know about an hour and a half in. What do you reckon, MP? I would say that our friends at Dinner with Racers in their Thursday Night Blunder series, <laughs> which I think wrapped up this week. Again, I apologize. I'm not on top of these things as I should. But uh, that's the thing you need to watch before any other esports. That's the best thing just about ever. Uh, what else do we have? Tom Aaron, A-R-R-O-N. Look up his Twitter handle and oh, find yeah. the amazing things, clips he's been posting there. Uh, there's been the LCQ League, Last Chance Qualifier League, that some IndyCar and I think a couple sports car stars have been doing here in the States. James Hinchcliffe, Alexander Rossi, Connor Daly. And it has been hilarious as well. I, that's what we need. That's where I fall with sim yeah. racing. It's not the, oh my goodness, how close can this be to the real thing? It's, yeah, I don't want it to be a complete joke. If it's a serious, you know, major motor racing series putting it on, want those to be somewhat serious, but not too serious. The ones, as Graham mentioned, that have taken things too serious have just been absolutely bo stiffly boring to me. I would say the ones that I've enjoyed most have been the ones that are really not bothered with being serious, being real, being any just, hey, let's go do this. Let's go smile and laugh and make some memories. Uh, is anyone going to be talking about, oh, do you remember the stint that BMW factory driver so-and-so did during the virtual 24 hours of whatever? I, I don't think so. I don't think those are the things that stand the test of time. The did you see when our pals Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman put on a Thursday night blunder race using Circuit de la Sarth and someone was there in the Bigfoot monster truck trying to Excellent. go through the Porsche curves, you know, you're, we're never going to forget that. So uh, if you're a super endurance racing fan and you're really missing the fact that Lamar is not happening in its original place on the calendar, maybe this 24-hour thing can be your thing and fill your heart with whatever it's missing. For hashtag me personally, 
I don't anticipate watching a moment of it. And it's not because I don't respect or have an interest in esports slash sim racing, but I'm not looking for a replica of the real thing. I would rather wait for the real thing and be satisfied by that than try and spend a day of my life or over two days, but 24 hours of something that is not real. And I just am not going to find the human drama in it that makes it uh, really, really important to me. So that is that for your world. We don't have much in general or fun. So I would suggest we just combine them into one and knock them out and say farewell. I think let's do that. So let's kick off uh, to you. And this one comes from Zach Anderson. It's a quick one. How many other manufacturers are in serious doubt regarding their 2021 programs? Don't think we know, do we? No, I mean, that's the thing that's going to be revealed to us. Right. Yeah. Well, you and I would appreciate if it was revealed directly to us because then we would have all the call for each and every one and say, no, we're fine. We're fine. Yeah. Hashtag breaking exclusive scoop. That's all we'd be doing. But we don't know. (laughs) But as we opened it somewhat at the top of the show, we expect more to say the same thing. And using that umbrella, using that blanket, the, the air support that Porsche has offered by being the first one to raise their hand and saying, we're stepping back. There's also another practical standpoint here, which is if you're thinking it and you're believing that that may end up being what you need to do, the longer you wait to do that, the less of that air support and cover you have from Porsche. So if you're going to do it, now's the time to do it. Two, two quick things to add to this one. Nobody but nobody in motorsports is currently having a conversation that begins with, here's some extra money for this year. Uh, that's number one. It's going to be cut costs. That's that's going to be, at the, very, at the very best of things, it's going to be cut costs. Second thing, and this is something that's an emerging theme, talking particularly to the Pro-Am teams, but I'm sure uh, it's, it's going to be a very real issue for the factory teams as well. Very many of them are more concerned about 2021. Uh, and the reason behind that is that we were on the cusp of the start of the 2020 season, and very many of their customers had already committed the funds for 2020. Therefore, they've got it in the bank. 2021 might be a very different uh, kettle of fish. And that is why they're beginning to put the pressure on the uh, those that organize the race series to start thinking about uh, their calendars being realistic for uh, a season where they're going to be under pressure and some of the fixed costs too. So beware that 2021 might be more of a crunch than 2020 is. Yeah. Uh, one quick one from Kevin Payne here. It's a question carried over from earlier week. I do know the answer on this one. Do you know why tracks like Marshalls in some countries are orange? They're not physically orange. I think he's talking about the overalls and others white. Are there any benefits from each of the colors? You know the answer? I don't. I do know that visibility, it's the safety workers equivalent of high vis. I do know that there's one there's one dear friend of ours. And I'm not laughing because he isn't a dear friend. I just it's so damn ridiculous. Daily sports car shooter Martin Spetz. A man You're talking about the hat, aren't you? Well, a man who <laughs> has spent the majority of his life uh, serving his country uh, as well as you know having uh, civilian jobs as well but as a shooter 
for a couple of years, he wore all high-vis orange fire suit, uh, his helmet, his everything, even high-vis tape, that same orange tape around the hood, the hood shields on his lenses as well, just wanting to make sure that, again, easily seen, not run into uh, differentiating himself from the rest of the uh, environment around him, uh, he was forced to abandon that when one photographer, who is a bit territorial and dickish at times, complained that Martin was being seen in some of his shots and the high-vis orange was distracting and detracting from the quality of those images. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, to your point, we go to some races. Uh, Le Mans is one that stands out, for example, where uh, you will find many of the track marshals in high-vis orange. Um, yeah. Oddly, well, I don't recall hearing, oh, and that same photographer went to uh, Eduardo Freitas or whomever might be in charge to get all of the track marshals removed who would be abs- dialing down the quality of his imagery. Um, but again, in a place where he could exert influence, uh, he indeed was able to uh, have Martin forced to abandon such things. So I don't know why in some places, but not others. I would suggest, Graham, that since there is no single global body that dictates policy, that's the the logical answer. Uh, But yeah, there is there is an answer. And I think you'll know, you, you do a fair amount of cross-country driving, don't you, when we're in season. Um, and I think if you know, if you drive down the interstate uh, and you've got those teams picking up litter as part of their community service, it's generally most of the marshals around the world are people actually doing community service for the various criminal offences they've committed. And it depends on the law enforcement communities. Um you know, uh, color of choice. At least that's why I heard it. Hundred percent. I'm kidding. Completely I'm kidding. accurate. These people are heroes. I love them to pieces. They're, they are a brilliant, brilliant bunch everywhere. If you ever get an opportunity to actually stand and talk to some of these guys, as you and I both do, women as uh, well. And absolutely, I, I meant guys in the wider sense, obviously. The ex- um, gender exclusive. Sense. Yes, you, he said digging his way out of a massive hole massively quickly. Sorry, girls. Um, I'm Women. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not editing this, Goodwin. You're done. We just me too you out now. of the we show. My sisters, they all hate me. Um, is They're just a fabulous bunch. We wouldn't be going racing without them. It's something, again, we've discussed multiple times, haven't we, that's, you know, to fulfill the ambitions of the series that are coming in with such wacky ideas um, to get racing in, longer uh, running meetings, squeezing series into a kind of a longer week. One of the restricting factors is the availability of, let's not forget, these volunteers to come and actually man the, the, um, the stations that they do, the posts, keeping the guys out there entertaining us safe and well. Um, I'm in awe of them. Is the straight and honest answer. Absolutely in awe of them. And, you know, when you talk to the race direction teams around the world, many of whom, by the way, Eduardo Francis is uh, an excellent example of this one, still goes and works on post from time to time. I think Classic Le Mans last year, 
uh, was sort of two years ago now. Uh, I know he certainly served on post with his mate, Rui Marquez, and other of our race directors uh, in Europe and globally. Um, and that sense of community and camaraderie, I know, is one that is strongly felt by all of them. And long may that be the case. And long may it be the case that the entire motorsport family, a much overused term, continues to value them as we should. Keep doing it, boys and girls, because we love you dearly. I will close this topic with after, and I don't know if the timing lined up exactly, but I do recall it being in my head, after hearing about this one photographer trying to pull nonsense that he succeeded in doing with our man Martin, I do recall Lamar for the last year or two I was there shooting, I made a point of incorporating the uh, corner marshals with the high-vis orange suits and whatever gear on into some of my shots, whether it was yeah. a high-speed pan uh, with uh, maybe coming out of the Indianapolis corner, getting ready to hang a right, blast down the straight towards the Porsche curbs. Um, really low-speed pan with the with cars behind uh, those workers, so you had this wall, this blurred wall of orange, but could barely see the silhouette of the figures. But with the car behind it, was like, oh yeah, actually, you could use this to your benefit in your photography, you dickhead. Um, and then immediately on entry to the Porsche curves, just before uh, everybody uh, hung the hard right, uh, was standing behind, so I think two or three marshals with their high vis orange. Uh, unis on and just use them to fill half the frame and so the whole right side is just this big kind of blur of bright orange into the left offsetting it on a dark um, you know paved circuit uh, was whichever cars that I decided to include and so it actually helped frame not just frame but also make the car pop and so it was just one of those things where you go yeah um, boy you could have actually made some pretty cool art if you weren't being so territorial. Uh, let's go to fun to close. We've got a, two questions here. One of them from our man, Right Turn Lover, about superheroes and stuff. Maybe send that back in next week or the week after. I'll admit it's a great question. I'm just not in the mood for it. So let's close, Graham, with uh, Bester underscore Peter. Says you're setting up a team whose remit is to make column inches for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> Who would okay. be your driver lineup, and what car would they be driving? Oof. So yeah, I think I, I think yeah. I might have the car. I think I go have the it. car, and we but we have to find the right folks to drive it. And what I'm trying to do here is pull up the most recent uh, tweaks. By the way. There's been some great cleanup tweaks done to the Twictionary, the beautiful Google Docs item uh, curated by Jacob Bame that has all of the words that I usually unintentionally mispronunciate, um, but occasionally do intentionally mispronunciate. Uh, I think the car that we have to use, again, all the wrong reasons for grabbing headlines, would be, as I called it, the... Nissan GTR GTLM G1 Nismo 
GTR LM Nismo GT, Nissan GTR LM1 Nismo GT, Nismo M RL1 M Nismo GTR. Evo. Evo. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what are we looking? For? What are we looking for for this blend of drivers? Are we just looking for social inadequacy, delinquency, so criminal behaviour? Scott Tucker absolutely yeah. involved, right? So he there's going to be some form of illegal payday lending branding on our Nissan Nismo LMGT. I won't run the whole name again, but yeah. so yeah, it's some sort of uh, Native American tribe that it is run under for sure um we have a wide selection of oh, convicted yeah. marijuana smugglers to choose from some of them lamal winners in the past absolutely uh, right so uh, where where should we go here for just well i think let's let's, let's leave the drugs into car too i think got uh, i think uh, tucker with avignati maybe there we go are, are we are we gonna have to move away from clients of the same person oh lord <laughs> no, oh. No, I won't go there. <laughs> um, i'm gonna go for that pair but they're gonna need some speed because let's face it while scott tucker was a capable gentleman driver uh sitting on a pro level so he's gonna need somebody with both the personality and the personal habits um to suit that trio i'm gonna go for frank montani Ooh. Uh, who did, of course, drive with Scott Tucker? Did he? Why am I forgetting when that what when that when that took place? He t- he put the Acura or the HPD rather into the wall, didn't he? At Laguna Seca. Huh. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm spacing on that one. Um, and if I remember, Frank certainly not someone who needs uh, any kind of energy drinks in his drink bottle. No, no, indeed, no. absolutely. He, he can. He's shown us he can definitely stay up a couple nights in a row if need be. <laughs> who uh, who are we putting into the second Nissan LMR GT LM Nismo Evo R LM GT? Team manager has got to be Vic Lee. Uh, oh, Vic Lee, yes, yes. yes. So twice convicted of uh, major drug smuggling. Yes, uh, a man whose nitrogen bottles the nitrogen comes in. Yep. Compressed powder form. Indeed. Um, God, there's been so so many drug uh, smugglers, so little time. You can just run that through that one uh, over the next 45 minutes of uh, the weekend sports cars. Shouldn't forget, by the way, the man behind the business side of this team should be one James Monroe. Is this a gentleman you re- recall? Oh, I'm, I'm brain farting on this. Okay. James Monroe, ex-British GT driver. Um <laughs> It's so ridiculous, it bears repeating. Uh, announced high-profile efforts in 1999, I believe, uh, with a um, big money uh, media launch featuring a supermodel at the time, long-tail McLaren F1 GTR, um, and was midway through the season when his boss spotted him on the podium... Um, having, I think, finished second with, I think it was Chris Goodwin was his co-driver, and was wondering aloud to himself on a Sunday morning, watching Channel 4 in the UK, why is my accountant on the TV? 
Wow. So at that stage, uh, I believe had the race car, had a McLaren F1 road car, had, I think, gifted Ducati motorcycles to numbers, numerous members of the team, um, did time for that. Okay, so it was massive fraud. Did time for that. Uh, served said time, came out, did the same again, stealing money this in this uh, instance from a charity. Okay, I can't remember the, the business of that charity, but uh, put himself under an assumed name into a job where he was uh, given access to the funds of that charity and did the same again, funding his own lifestyle with luxury cars and other bits and pieces. Was caught for that, and I'm not sure whether or not was, uh, had actually done the time or was waiting to serve time, and then attempted through the good offices of a well-known website in the UK, Piston Heads, um, later bought by Haymarket, um, that might be under, it was indeed under Haymarket's ownership, who were promoting um, his life story. Now, um, I think pretty clearly at this stage, whichever half-wit was doing that, hadn't realised the impact this man had actually had on real people's lives and was pulled up short by a number of people, and proud to say I was one of them. I think the guy's been down again for a third time. So this is not just... Um, shitbaggery as I would call it it is clearly this guy has got some kind of uh, emotional and mental trouble that's, that prevents him from actually behaving like a decent human being but he'd certainly have to be in charge of the business aspects of it I think the rest of it would have to be <sighs> at what point are we going to mention our fake sponsor well I don't even know if we need to I think why don't we, why don't we just close with a spectacular driver whose Go talents on. were never fully appreciated. Henri Zogai. Henri Zogai, for sure. Uh, referred to as the Bernie Madoff of motorsports, who made oh. off with a lot of money from Mike Shank, uh, Ryan Deal, whether it's taking money or not paying what was owed. Uh, yes, given a 15-year prison sentence, uh, should be out uh, if he serves the full term in 2029. So yeah, yeah, we might be, might have to wait a little while till we Josh can get him in the car. One, yes, uh, but someone we certainly look forward to, uh, to have in <laughs> our <laughs> felon column inch creating mobile Hey, I just saw, by the way, that someone else in the sport put together a uh, an opinion column saying that uh, we should reconsider GT convergence. That's a hot take. Oh yeah, it, uh, right. Here's, here's should the, we I save a section of the show called "No Shit"? Um, well, watch, watch. By the way, for we recorded this Thursday night, Friday, um, for actually some really good thoughts on GT convergence and why you can't really do GT3 Plus from the one man that really knows, and that is Stefan Rattel. Um, happily, a convergence of circumstance. Talked to Stefan about GT1. He gave me some absolute gold on the multiple attempts he's made to make something like that work and why it doesn't, and why I think he believes that uh, the days of GT Factory 
uh, racing are pretty much numbered at the moment. I'm just going to give you one final tale to do with shithousery in uh, sports car racing, and it does involve my Japanese friend Yoshi Mori, a man who has um, underpaid and defrauded more race teams than I've had hot dinners, and that's a lot of hot dinners. Uh, and I'll give you just this little tableau. It comes from the Asian Le Mans series at Shanghai, where once again he talked his way into a race car. In this case, it was DC Racing, David Cheng's team, um, and they were getting increasingly desperate that he had, again, surprise, surprise, not produced the promised money. And I have a very vivid memory of um, the two team principals at that stage, either side of the LMP3 car, with the uh, said Mr. Mori sitting in the car, and David, I think it was, rather than hoping tongue, it was the other guy involved here, holding a credit card machine. <laughs> so a, a credit card machine with a mobile phone signal and making sure that it was a refusal that you are not taking that car, the car out unless and until you have cleared credit card funds using this machine I am holding in my hand. You are not going out of our sight. That, to me, was a little bit of quiet genius. Tragically, he couldn't produce said funds, and that meant that team, having done without his services for that race, uh, because he'd been signed on as a driver, lost their points and their finish in that race, again because of his duplicity. Last I heard, uh, he'd been arrested by Japanese authorities for selling seats in a Lamborghini GT car that was not his to sell. Uh, hear that name again? See it on an entry list somewhere? Yoshi Mori. Uh, do feel free to tell the people in that series that he is not going to pay. Wow. He never does. I, I'm just having visions, Graham, of motor races I've seen throughout the years. Could be Formula One, could be NASCAR. More, A little bit more back in the day. Happens today, though, a little bit, though. Of the drink of the pole with the drink bottle holder at the end, and during yeah. the pit stop, they extend it out. The driver takes a sip, throws it over the wall again or whatever. doesn't happen so much these days with onboard drink systems, but I'm just envisioning this fine person <laughs> making pit stops and the team, you know, cracking open the door, using the pole to slide it through with the credit card machine on the end at each stop so he can swipe it and make sure there's money for him to do the next stint. So, That's it. Put the pin number in. Go on. <laughs> uh, that is awesome. Uh, or maybe it's just in the in the console in the middle of the car, you know. So you've got your start button, you got your brake bias, you got your credit card reader. A bit like one of those drink driver lockout devices, yeah. <laughs> yeah, instead of a breathalyzer, it's a uh, a payment processalyzer. Yeah, absolutely. Like one of those vending machines where you've actually got to put the dollar bill in. Uh, <laughs> Uh, then he'd find a way to crash, steal the box containing all of the cash, jump over the fence, and call an Uber to get out of there. Oh, Lord. All right. Well, uh, we are fully, we've fully embraced the uh, slightly polished turd format. It's going to stay. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Graham, for taking the time to make this show happen. And since I enjoy opening the show, I really enjoy having you take us home. I'll do that. Thanks very much to Marshall. Uh, thanks to all of you out there for listening. We're approaching a bit of a landmark uh, for the Marshall Pruitt podcast. I'm sure more of that in the coming days. 
Um, thanks in particular to those of you that send me your awesome questions. We are never, ever short of questions. We love it, love it, love it. If you're particularly fond of the one you've sent and we've not got to it, send it again. We will get to it at some point, I promise you that. For now, though, uh, with thanks to Cooper Tires, with thanks to the Justice Brothers, with thanks to Bell Helmets USA and to TorontoMotorsports.com, I've been Graham Goodwin. He's been Marshall Pruitt. This has been the Weekend Sports Cars on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. We will see you next week.